Hey there, Hoopers. Welcome to the Pick and Roll Podcast. You're listening to a podcast made by the Hoopers and for the Hoopers. I'm your host, Zafir Nagji, and this week on episode 19, we're going to take you through what makes Victor Oladipo such a special player to us and why we think he should actually be a second option on a championship contending team. Uh, We hope you've all been doing safe, you know, socially distancing, washing your hands, doing all of those really important things during these trying times, obviously. Uh, We were supposed to be watching playoff basketball today, which is really the crazy thing. Uh, Playoffs were supposed to start around this time. We were going to start looking at, you know, which matchups were going to be interesting, regular season award predictions, all of those things. But instead, because of the current circumstances, the only playoff games we're watching are historic ones. Um, nonetheless, if you do want consistent basketball content every single day of the week, uh, catered content, analysis, memes, hell, even on Wednesdays, we do food posts, um, follow at PNR podcast on Instagram. Uh, we got things coming up every single day on both posts and stories. We're liking, we're commenting, we're following back all of those, all of those big things. We're actually at 106 followers. This is the first episode we're doing since we got to hundred followers. So I also wanted to make a big shout out to all of you guys, because the support that we've been getting has just been absolutely unbelievable this last uh, week or two. Anyways, if you also want to follow us on Twitter, it's PNR underscore podcast. Uh, Unfortunately, I just couldn't use the same one. But uh, if you want to follow us there, you know, we're going to start using that to tweet out basketball thoughts during the day. If I'm watching a game, maybe I'll start live tweeting, you know, just just to get some discussions going with the Hoopers. But like I said, today is going to be about Victor Oladipo. But before we get into that, let's talk about the best number 19 in NBA history, considering that this is the 19th episode. It's actually a New York Nick. I'm actually going to give the Knicks some credit. Now, albeit it's not a recent Nick, and the Knicks have only been bad the last 40 plus years. Um, But before they were bad, the best 19, Willis Reed, played for the Knicks and actually won a Rookie of the Year, an MVP, two NBA championships, and two Finals MVPs. So a legend at the center position. He was playing at the same time as guys like Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, like maybe very early Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So he's playing against tough opposition. And yet, in the 1970 finals where he had his, you know, his legendary game, they literally call it the Willis Reed game. 1970, game seven, Willis Reed played with a torn thigh muscle. Nonetheless, he guarded Will Chamberlain the entire game and secured the championship for his New York Knicks team. Uh, And for the series, he averaged 31 points, 15 rebounds, and 4 assists. So, incredible numbers, incredible center, incredible NBA player. Best 19 in NBA history, that's Willis Reed. And without further ado, let's run the play for Victor Oladipo. So, what makes Victor Oladipo so special? Well, we gotta talk about his stats, because at the end of the day, regardless of how special they are, the stats are what they put up on the floor. And we have to look at that to determine, really, are they contributing to winning efforts? Are they putting in the work? And Victor Oladipo has been putting in the work. Now, you're going to notice here, I'm not using 2019-20 stats. And for the most part, I'm not going to be using uh, 2018-19 season stats as well. Uh, that's because Victor Oladipo obviously uh, suffered that ruptured quad tendon last season. And as a result, I don't want to look at just a half season where he's completed or a quarter season where he's completed. I want to look at something that's a sustainable sample size that I can say in the course of 70 or 68 or some some kind of games like that. What am I going to get from it? So let's look at 2017-18. His career year, 
his last almost full season. And, you know, he went to the playoffs against LeBron James, held himself up pretty well against the Cavaliers, actually. You know, I remember watching that series and thinking, man, this kid's going to be like, this kid's going to be something big. And he, he held himself against LeBron. He was guarding LeBron in a lot of scenarios as well, surprisingly. Even though Nate McMillan doesn't often use a switching uh, defense for Indiana, Oladipo was willing to take those, those tough matchups. Uh, so in that, in that year, the Pacers made the playoffs as the fifth seed. Cavs were the fourth seed. And they went seven games. You know, there were a lot of games that were like two or three possessions apart. You could make an argument that actually the Pacers could have won that series and it would have been behind Victor Oladipo. But for the regular season, played 75 out of 82 games uh, and in 34 minutes of action, dropped 23 points, four assists and five rebounds, as well as two steals and a block. And that's that's the big thing right there is that that steals and block numbers. This is what's made Oladipo so special since college. His ability to defend and recover on defenders that are on uh, offensive players that have beat him with the dribble or beat him off of a cut. Just the ability to recover and contest. It's something that we rarely, rarely see in guys that are only like 6'4". You know, like normally they need some kind of length to be able to bother shots like that. Oladipo is just running so hard and so agile dodging picks that he can stay with you naturally. No problems at all. Uh, so that's really, really incredible if you ask me. He also is a really, really efficient scorer. 48% from the field, 37% from three-point range, 80% from the free throw line. Now for an athletic guard, you know, generally free throw shooting doesn't tend to be of the highest order. You look at uh, John Wall had a, a lot of seasons in the mid-70s. Russell Westbrook recently has started shooting a lot worse from the free throw line. Same thing with Giannis. You know, really athletic guys tend to struggle from the free throw line. LeBron especially. But Oladipo has kind of been around that 80% range, which means that four out of five times he's going to the line, there's going to be buckets. Incredible stuff. And he's also just averaging under three turnovers a game. Now, I know that three turnovers sounds like a lot, but trust me, when I get to the, the gist of this argument, when I get to the meat of this argument, you'll see why those turnovers don't actually matter. Um, his advanced stats are also actually really incredible, and I do like to use advanced stats in some capacity. I do feel like they provide a, a secondary perspective at what happens with the player, and it kind of assigns value to what they do for a team. And so Victor Oladipo's advanced stats, 57.7% true shooting percentage. So almost 60% of the shot attempts that he takes, whether it be a free throw, a layup, a mid-range, a three, whatever the, the value of points that he's going to get after. Almost 60% of his scoring attempts are buckets. Incredible. 30% usage rate. That's not too high. We know that uh, ball dominant guards like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving have often had usages above 35%. And in the case of Harden and Westbrook, over 40%. So to be able to put those numbers up on only 30% usage rate and with the PER of 23.1, that's player efficiency rating, it, it shows you that he's actually going to be a contributing player to a winning effort. He's not wasting possessions. He's handling the ball well. He's shooting efficiently, etc., etc. Now, this means that Victor Oladipo must be a, a player contributing to a winning effort. And where we see this in the advanced stats is in a box score plus minus. So what that is, is the amount of points per 100 possessions that player is better than an average player on an average team. 
Victor Oladipo is a plus 5.1 over an average player on an average team per 100 possessions. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but five points over 100 possessions in a game, that can come in really useful. That can be extremely useful. And that factors in offense and defense. So now do, does every team have 100 possessions per game? Absolutely not. There's teams that run 110 possessions a game. There's teams that run in the 90s still. However, in 100 possessions, which is, you know, a, a good median average for the league right now, he's 5.1 points better when you factor in both sides of the basketball. And what's this resulted in is a win share score of 8.2. So that means that Victor Oladipo alone in 2017-18 contributed to 8.2 wins just on his own. 8 out of 82, that's 10%. So that's that's something that you can genuinely use from your best player. Can you contribute to a, a, a good number of wins without burning yourself out and without being inefficient? A la Westbrook. Oladipo's proven it. Now, the 18-19 season was cut short for Victor Oladipo because of that ruptured quad tendon. And it was it was heartbreaking because he was on his way to, to just kind of getting warmed up for the season. He had started a little bit cold, kind of needed a jump start. It looked like that, that knee was giving him issues from the start. And then once that quad tore, it was over for him. Uh, and it's, it's, it's such a, a rare injury to have a ruptured quad tendon like that. And that's one of the things that Victor Oladipo often talked about was that, look, this is brand new territory. You know, I'm just listening to what my body tells me. I'm not, I'm not letting my mind run wild with it. I'm going to take my time with the recovery. And that's what he did because it was a really severe injury. If you haven't looked at it, I suggest you go on YouTube and look at it. It's, it's pretty gruesome. It's not Paul George USA Olympic gruesome, but it is definitely gruesome. You, you kind of feel... Your, your own knee kind of have some pain there. Uh, but in that 18-19 season, he played 36 games. And in 32 minutes per game, he dropped 19 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds, 1.7 steals, and 0.3 blocks. So you can see that his numbers kind of took a hit. 42% from the field, 34% from three-point range, and 73% from the free throw line. Now, that 73% is not great. It's a, it's a, it's a low shooting for him. It's an NBA career low shooting for him. And uh, 2.3 turnovers a game. His usage rate also declined in this year. He was often not the lead guard in the offense. Uh, there were times where Darren Collison was bringing up the ball, Tyreek Evans. You also had to feed bigs like Sabonis and Turner and Thaddeus Young. So there was there was a lot going on with the Pacers. And as a result, Victor Oladipo had to kind of, kind of adjust his game. 2017-18 was when he was kind of more trusted with the ball. But once Victor Oladipo went out, the Pacers were still able to make the playoffs, sure. But Kyrie Celtics, which were known for being so... There was so much drama attached to them. There was so much negative press towards them. They were dysfunctional in a way. And even then, the Pacers with guys like Sabonis, Turner, and Collison, and a lot of other like real hoopers, they still weren't able to, to beat the Celtics, even when they were at their dysfunctional. Uh, at the dysfunctional moments, I mean. So, while while Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, and all of the other guys on Indiana, they're not great players. I'm not saying they're all-stars. But a collection of guys like that should be able to beat a team that can't even get along with each other. Or at least put up a couple of games. Don't get swept. At least go 4-1, 4-2, maybe. Shows you how valuable Oladipo really is. 
Um, but when you watch all the depot playing and you're seeing all of these highlights, because I'm, I'm assuming that you guys are probably going to go and uh, check out the Instagram post. We do have a post on him and we're posting another one after this episode. When you watch him play, the first thing that you notice is just how fucking fast this guy is. Oladipo runs up and down the court, not maybe faster than anybody we've ever seen, but among the fastest in the league for sure. And this has been a thing since college, since high school. And when you're looking at his draft combine, this is where you see evidence of that. When you're looking at his draft reports, his scouting reports, this is this is what's often mentioned is that he has an electrifying amount of speed. In fact, at the draft combine, he posted a three-quarter sprint time, three-quarter court sprint time of 3.25 seconds. So he can run three-quarters of the court that quickly. And a 42-inch max vertical leap. So he's running at incredible speeds, and then he's jumping over you as well. Traditionally, this is what great athletes are capable of, but because he's such an efficient scorer and he's not just getting it off of dunks, there's a lot of other things in his offense, it's crazy to see that he really is still like a raw athlete at heart. And you saw this in college and with the Magic when he was still kind of developing. Oladipo was just straight up dunking on people. Oladipo was running up and down the court faster than everybody. He was in competitive games with other colleges. And then when he got to the league, I remember there was a game in in his first couple of years. Westbrook and him went back to back to back on like game tying, game winning kind of shots. Incredible matchups. Like he really put it up and it was his athleticism that was propelling him a lot of the time. He had a decent jump shot, an improved jump shot from what he was in high school and early on in college. But that wasn't his lead thing back then. He was almost purely a slasher. You know, he wasn't even having a a three-point attempt rate of around 30%. He was in the 20s and even in the mid-10s. So, anyways, let's get back to what makes him uh, so special in his athleticism. Is that he's finally learned how to control that athleticism. How to control all of that power, all of that speed. How, How do I stop myself? when I'm going that fast? How do I land safely when I'm jumping that high? And what he worked on his entire time after after his first few years in college and Orlando, he realized that that became an important thing. Because when you look at his old scouting reports and his old Draft Express reports, what you see is he loses control of the ball because he's going too fast. He leaves the ball behind on drive sometimes. His left hand used to be kind of weak. It was one of the things that he was uh, he was criticized for. But because he's learned to control that now, it's allowed him to, to just expand on his game, to become much better at what he's doing. Like I said, like I, I like to say this, every good car needs a good set of brakes. If you have a 700 horsepower car, you're going to need some, some really good brakes to make sure that when you're going 200 miles an hour, you can stomp on the brakes safely. You can come to a safe halt, Nothing's, nothing's problematic. If you don't have a good set of brakes, you're not going to be able to stop in time and you're going to hurt yourself and the car. Victor Oladipo, if he didn't learn to control that, eventually this could have been a much worse injury. This could have been a ruptured Achilles like we saw from Kevin Durant, Derek Rose. This could have been knee problems like we saw with Dwayne Wade. And let's hope it's not knee problems. Knock on wood. It's not knee problems, but there is a risk associated with it. So every fast jumping athlete needs the same kind of skill as that car. Have a good set of brakes and have a nice landing, nice soft suspension when you land. That's important. Uh, Speaking of cars, by the way, 
Go to at Drip Detailing on Instagram. We actually have a sponsorship deal with them. If you tell them that uh, we sent you and that you listen to the podcast, you get 20% off your Drip Detailing package. But we'll we'll have more of that in the halftime show. We'll send out the sponsors at that point. Let's get back to Oladipo. Now, early on, Oladipo used to run into charging fouls a lot. Like I said, he left the ball behind sometimes on drives, especially going to his left. You know, he really favored his right side. And... Uh, as a result, in half-court sets, you know, it was it was really easy to pick on him. You just had to rotate your defender in time to uh, to cause him to hit them. And uh, you'd be able to draw a charge relatively easy. Now, also, Oladipo's passing game wasn't as evolved as it is today, and he's become a much better passer, especially in pick-and-roll situations. But uh, that, that was what helped him in the half-court. Early on, what he was known for was his full-court abilities. Because where there were shortcomings in the half court, he completely made them up in transition situations. Holy shit. He would break through people. He would have a smooth and slick handle in transition. No problems when he just trusted his instinct and had his feel for the game going full speed ahead. When he was running at his pace, he didn't turn the ball over often. He wasn't taking out of control shots. He was dodging around defenders, swerving through people, passing to corner shooters, you know, bouncing it through his legs to big guys. He would make really good decisions in transition even early on. And so whatever strategy you put, Oladipo was going to carve carve all of you guys up. He was going to carve your center up at the rim. He was going to carve your point guard up at the perimeter and everything else in between. You want to try and stop the ball like your coach always tells you to? Good luck staying in front of him because he's, he's so fast. And it's not just that he's quick. It's the acceleration to get to that high speed. He, after a, after a few strides, maybe one or two strides, he's full speed ahead. So you might think you're in front of him, but you got to remember, he's got two or three more gears that you probably haven't seen before. You want to double team him so that he can't get to the rim? You know, send two defenders at him? He's got a pretty strong throwing hand, and he doesn't mind lasering a pass to the corner, hitting a trailer behind him. He's a great teammate, has always supported his teammates, and has not had one bad thing to say about anybody he's played with. Or even really against. I don't think I've even heard Oladipo talk trash. That's that's the same thing that you're going to see in transition. He's willing to hit finishers and shooters in transition or even in half-court sets nowadays. And the best part about it is that they're laser beam passes. They're accurate passes. They're fast passes. On time, on target, in your pocket, go up and shoot. That's a skill that only special passers can really say that they have. Just passing someone the ball isn't good enough to help them make the shot. Passing it to them in their pocket, when they're comfortable, when they're loaded and ready to go, that's important. Now look, he's also a shooting guard, but rebounds like an athletic wing. And you saw that with his rebounding stats like I talked about earlier in 2017-18, he was averaging 5 rebounds a game. 5 rebounds a game, we can see that from guys like... I could see that. I could see Gordon Hayward averaging 5 rebounds a game. Dwayne Wade was kind of around that, you know, really, really athletic wings. This is, he's kind of around that area for rebounding. And what that helps him with in transition is that he can just grab the ball off of the rim and boom, just go. Once, once he grabs the ball off of the rim, he has that same Russell Westbrook type of instinct where I'm just going to go push the ball. I don't care if it's a 60 foot outlet pass or if I'm just going to beat every single person down this basketball court. If I have to run all 94, I'll run all 94. And that's what Oladipo is able to do. He's so capable in transition that in college, in his junior year, the guy was averaging 1.21 points per possession in transition. 
the 1.21 out of two potential or sorry out of three potential points if you pull up for three but in 2013-14 people weren't doing that a lot so let's say let's say two points 1.2 out of two potential points per possession i'll take that that is that's over 50 percent Furthermore, on top of that knack for rebounding, he'll also create more rebounds by being a great defender. So take, for example, let's look at other great rebounding guards like Russell Westbrook. How does Russell Westbrook get the majority of his rebounds? Well, he he gets about a couple of rebounds from standing at the free throw line, which is something that guards generally don't do, but Westbrook is willing to do. Other rebounding guards like Ben Simmons, well, Ben Simmons is 6'10", Dwayne Wade was a good rebounding guard. Curry's a good rebounding guard. Curry's was based off of positioning. Wade was effort, positioning, and just pure raw athleticism that Wade had early on. There's a reason why they called him the Flash. Oladipo's rebounding comes from, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. If I'm, if I'm defending someone, I'm going to make sure that I get the rebound after. And I'm going to make sure that they miss so I can have a rebound to get. So when I say that Oladipo is a two-way player, he plays both ends at a high level. It's not that he plays defense and then plays offense at a high level. It's that he plays both at a high level. You know, he, in, uh, in, in Orlando, he was guarding mainly ones and twos. But now that he's in uh, Indiana, he's bulked up a little bit. He's gotten a little bit more used to the flow of the game. In 2017-18, we saw him guarding LeBron. We saw him guarding Paul George. In, in some one-on-one videos with USA Basketball, he was holding his own against those guys. He knows how to defend really, really capable, really, really long, tall scorers. People that would outsize him and just physically dominate him. And even then, he'll still switch out on the fours and fives. If, if his bigs get caught or if they're dropping in coverage and he needs to make a quick switch, he'll take a four or a five and he'll try his best and hold his own. He's not going to stop them from scoring every time, don't get me wrong. But you can put him there and hope for the best. You're not you're not biting your nails every time. You can you you can expect him to get a stop or a steal or at least foul him in the right position. Make sure he doesn't make the shot making go to the free throw line. Good decision making. His hybrid of strength, speed and agility is really what contributes to this. Cuz he's not strong in terms of you know, I got 240 pounds, 250 pounds. I'm 220, but I'm going to push you around and I'm going to use all of that muscle. I know how to utilize my body because I work hard on it all the time. Speed, he's one of the fastest guys in the league. So don't leave the ball exposed because he'll run by and he'll just whop, swipe it out. And all of a sudden it's a transition run. And you don't want to, you don't want to fuck with Oladipo in transition. And then that agility, try and set a screen on him. Just do it because he'll go over, under, around, and he'll recover and he'll block you from behind, in front, the side, contest, rebound, whatever it takes, switch. He's he's willing to do all of that. And these three qualities, strength, speed, and agility is what contributes to, what contributes to it. Excuse me. His only issue on the defensive end, though, like I said, it's that size. Look, he's only 6'4 and 210. 6'8 guys that are 225 pounds or more can take advantage of him in the post. He'll hold his own, but they, they can take advantage of him in the post. But then again, how many guys do we really know that are willing to go down 15 feet back to the basket and can actually do something to someone? Jab, step, fade away, hook shots, whatever it might be. 
there's not a lot of guys that can do that anymore. So Oladipo kind of fits in the league, and it's why his, his defensive weakness in this case, it doesn't matter. You can hide that. Especially when you consider that Indiana doesn't run a lot of switches, right? Like Nate McMillan wants his team to fight over screens, to give effort. So Oladipo doesn't really have to worry about having to guard guys that are so much bigger than him that it's, a, it's an obvious mismatch. Overall, though, Oladipo truly is a tremendous defender, and he can guard multiple positions, and that is what makes him special. On top of these offensive numbers, the fact that he can contribute on both ends and is willing to do it for extended stretches in a game against a variety of different matchups and is willing to alter strategies and help his team win on both ends of the floor. It's what's, it's what's making him a really special and really interesting player for us to watch. Um, we'll take a break for halftime and uh, when we come back, let's talk about what kind of roles Victor Oladipo fits in best and what teams should really be looking to make a trade for him if Indiana, for whatever reason, makes him available in a trade. So uh, listen to the halftime show and then we'll see you there in a bit. Hey there, Hoopers. Welcome to the Pick and Roll Halftime Show. Today on the Halftime Show, I wanted to shout out our sponsors because they've just been really supportive of us and have been, you know, encouraging us to keep going and telling us to keep growing and just all of that positive stuff. I wanted to give them a quick shout out for our Halftime Show, starting with B-Ball Empire. So B-Ball Empire is a basketball apparel company. They have everything from backpacks, hoodies, hats to t-shirts, all of those things that hoopers really need to look good, feel good when they're hooping or when they're not hooping. Their hoodies are ultra soft. Like I can, I can vouch for that. You know, I just set up a basketball net in the back of my house the other day, and uh, I hooped in my my uh, my B-ball Empire hoodie. And I'll tell you what, it felt just as good as the video that I posted on the Pick and Roll podcast page, PNR Podcast on Instagram. And uh, we we love them because you know I love being able to hoop in my hoodies. I I love having that as a warm up tool, and I think most of you guys do too. So I wanted to talk about the guys that I think are the best hoodie hoopers in the league before I tell you how you can get 24% off at bballempire.com, their online website. So some of the best hoodie hoopers that we know, obviously Mellow, guaranteed hoodie hooper. He'll go to a pickup game. He'll drop all 21 if that's what it takes on twos or threes. It doesn't matter. He'll get you buckets. And what makes him so special as a hoodie hooper is that mid-range post-up game. The fact that you can just throw the ball into him and he knows exactly what to do with it in that moment in time against that defender, that's a valuable skill to have. Other great hoodie hoopers, J.R. Smith. Look, I know I know I've criticized J.R. a lot, but J.R. is a he's an NBA player, an NBA talent, and actually is extremely good at basketball. Plays a lot of it in his spare time. And so he is a genuine hoodie hooper. And last but not least, our third hoodie hooper is Victor Oladipo, because Oladipo is one of the hardest workers I've seen in the league. Just a couple of days after um, <clears throat> after losing to the Cavs in Game 7 of the first round, Oladipo was already training with his trainer. In fact, right after losing Game 7, he texted his trainer and said, when do we start? So, Oladipo, Melo, and J.R. Smith, those are your hoodie hoopers of the day of the episode and so if you want to save 24 percent off of your hoodie and become a hoodie hooper like those guys like me like all of us 
Go to bballempire.com and enter in code PNR24. You get 24% off. That's PNR24. So go get you some brand new swag. And why don't you just follow them on Instagram as well? The B-Ball Empire. That's at The B-Ball Empire. And check out our uh, our sponsored post. See if you like see if you like the design of the hoodie because I know for a fact I love it. Um, and our other sponsor, Drip Detailing. Now, Drip Detailing is the premier auto detailing company in Calgary. They will come to you in the portable drip detailing van and they will make sure that your car is clean, sanitized, and that it looks like new. Now, if you've been on their Instagram, at drip detailing, you see the kind of cars they're working on. Ferraris, Porsches, Benzes, but even regular cars, Chargers, Civics, whatever you got, they got the solutions for you. They'll explain their entire process so you know exactly what's going on. And that kind of honesty and integrity is only really presented by real hoopers and real people. People that you can trust. And the most important thing is, they give your vehicle the first team all-car treatment that it deserves. So go to add drip detailing on Instagram, book your uh, book your drip detailing package with them today. And you'll save 20% off if you tell them that you listen to the podcast. That's 20% off if you just tell them that you listen to us. And your car gets clean. It looks all good. You can take some pictures of it, post it on Instagram, maybe dunk over it the way Blake Griffin did in the dunk contest. But to make this related to basketball, I want to talk about the best drivers of the basketball that I've ever seen in the league. Let's do a, let's do a quick top five list. Number one, LeBron. LeBron's the best driver of the basketball I've ever seen in my life. 6'8", 270 pounds, no problem busting through an entire defense. LeBron's number one. Number two, Michael Jordan. At 6'6", and undersized a lot of the time against guys like Bird and Magic and all of those guys, Jordan was still getting to the rim, adjusting, free throw line dunks, up and unders, creative finishes. He was a great driver of the basketball. He's number number two. Number three, dare I say Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook can get to the rim like no point guard I've ever seen. He just does one little crossover, one little skip of his feet, and he's already past you. He's unbelievably quick. Number four, I'm going to go with Sean Kemp. Now, you might be thinking, well, Sean Kemp wasn't driving from the three-point line. How can you say that? Well, he drove from about 15 feet, and then it was a wrap. You had nothing you could do against him. At number five, Vince Carter. Because you knew every time Vince Carter was driving the ball, he was going to throw it down. Notable mentions, Kobe. Now, Kobe was more of a finesse player, I think. You know, he, he could take the contact and he didn't mind going to the rim and taking it. That's for sure. But he got more of his points on mid-range pull-ups and stuff like that. Kind of the way Michael Jordan did later in his career. Kobe only really drove for the first half of his career. As well as Victor Oladipo, who's a great driver of the basketball as well. They keep their bodies maintained and you should keep your car maintained and looking clean. So go to iDrip Detailing on Instagram and get your car the first team all-car treatment that it deserves. Uh, and without further ado, let's get back to the episode, Hoopers. Hey Hoopers, welcome back to the Pick and Roll Podcast, episode 19 on Victor Oladipo. Uh, so we just finished talking about kind of his game, how he likes to play, 
what kind of stats he's been averaging, his recent injuries, his recent successes and shortcomings. But now I want to talk about what kind of role he fits best into, what teams he's played on, how he's played on them, and most importantly, where what teams should really be considering him? What teams should look at Victor Oladipo and say, he can help us get a ring? Maybe as a second option, maybe as a third option, maybe as a first option. But let's start with his previous teams. Let's go back to his days in Orlando. Now in Orlando, he was the lead shot creator almost coming right out of, out of college into the NBA. His job was create on the offensive end, be the athletic guard that leads everything that we do, and then take a good defensive matchup. The best defensive matchup if you can, if it's a perimeter player. And Oladipo was doing it extremely well, you know? He was in the uh, in the Rising Stars game. He was a, a, a pretty good draft pick in 2013. And um, he definitely did prove that he can be the lead guard in a system. Was Orlando winning a lot of games? They weren't. But Devin Booker is a great player and Phoenix isn't winning a lot of games. Brad Beal's a great player and Washington's not winning a lot of games. Sometimes great players just have shitty teams around them. And they can't really do much with it. And that's exactly the case in Orlando. It's not like it was the Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Orlando Magic, or the Dwight Howard, Hito Turkoglu, Richard Lewis, Stan Van Gundy coached Orlando Magic. This was a lottery team. And it showed because Oladipo was just doing his best to raise their ceiling. They weren't going very far. They trade him to OKC and OKC pairs him with Russell Westbrook. Now, Oladipo has never complained about having to play with Westbrook. In fact, he really liked playing with Westbrook. Him and Westbrook got along extremely well. Their on-court chemistry wasn't too bad either. It's just that their on-court fit wasn't perfect. And I think the reason why, Victor Oladipo is not used to standing around and just catching the ball every little once in a while and spacing the floor, you know, secondary ball handler. That's not what he was used to at that point. And no one had really coached him any differently. And as a result, those those stats in 16-17 uh, were, not, were not good. They were the worst stretch of his career. This wasn't what he designed himself to be. Oladipo was a raw athlete coming out of college. If he wanted to just be one of those athletic, athletic role players that stretches the floor, a la Daniel House, Gerald Green, Jeff Green, Danny Green, a lot of greens. <laughs> like I said, he had that uncontrollable raw athleticism and a streaky jump shot. He could have just been an athletic role player that spaced the floor, but the only reason he developed his dribble, his three-pointer, his off-the-dribble moves, it's because he wanted to be at least a secondary ball handler. Like an actual secondary, not a tertiary, the way that Westbrook turns your secondary ball handler into. And what I mean by that is, look, Westbrook uses about 40% of the plays for his teams on average when he was with OKC. And so Oladipo, even being the secondary ball handler, you weren't getting the ball a lot. Whereas in an actual secondary ball handler system, let's talk about Cleveland in 2016 with LeBron and Kyrie. They can split more of the offensive load between each other and they can actually take turns. That wasn't what was happening in OKC. And as a result, OKC traded him, combined with all of those bad results. But then when he got to Indy, Nate McMillan saw, hey, this, this kid's kind of special. He can, he can handle the ball. He can run, pick and roll. He's got a great feel for the game. And I think this is, by the way, this is my personal part. 
about Oladipo is his feel for the game. They they trusted him with their offense. They said, "You run it. You go and have a good time. You take thirty percent of our of our possessions and use them because you got you got talent, you got potential, and you got all of that work ethic that real hoopers real hoopers need and earn minutes by." So his usage rate jumped 9% over the course of the season. Now he's using 9% more of the plays for his team on the season. And unlike most players that dramatically increase their volume like that, his efficiency actually went up. So now he's averaging 23 points per game on better true shooting percentage, better three point percentage, better free throw shooting, uh, better field goal overall. All of those numbers are just getting better because he's confident now. And on top of that, the system that Nate McMillan put around Oladipo was such that any person could get hot. And Oladipo, being the good team player that he is, is willing to distribute the ball and let other people get off. So as a result, Oladipo doesn't really have to think too much. You know, by now having the ball more of the game and by kind of getting more of a rhythm of the flows and ebbs and ups and downs of every single basketball game, now he can just rely on his instincts. And once he started relying on his instincts, he became a certified licensed bucket, like PhD in getting buckets. That's how good he became for a little while. And before his injury, like we were, we were kind of seeing the same thing in stretches. It's just this, this leg has been bothering him. All he has to do when he comes back is start trusting his teammates again, the way he did in 1718. And if he's just, willing to make plays work out, which we've seen him do in the past, he doesn't have to be the one putting the ball in the bucket every time. He can conserve energy, he can use those athletic moments in bursts, he can control the pace of games the way we see some stars doing. And all it is is just a matter of controlling himself. On top of that, when he was trusted with that increased usage rate, you know, a lot of the weaknesses that we saw from him earlier in college and in Orlando, a la turning the ball over, running into people and drawing charges, once he started getting the ball more often and handling not off of a screen, but actually bringing the ball up the court, those reduced immensely. His turnovers came mostly from trying different passing angles. That's what he that's what he really wanted to do, and that was a new thing to him because he'd never been trusted with the passing portion of an offense, excuse me. So now plays that were tentative layups in OKC or drives that resulted in charges in Orlando, they became mid-range pull-ups, three-pointers off ball screens, drop-off passes to his bigs, Sabonis, Turner, Thaddeus Young, and some crazy in-air maneuvers up and unders, 360s, reverse dunks. They'd make anybody fascinated. Like, and no one could plan that. Like, no one can plan, hey, I'm going to go up and then I'm going to go under the rim and then I'm going to spin it off off the top corner. You don't plan that and you're not practicing that as a main thing. That's your instinct. And that's Victor Oladipo was great with his instincts. So I'm glad that Indiana found him and pushed him to that role, gave him the confidence to be in that role. Now, offensively, the only hole that we've seen in him through all of these periods was the consistency in the jump shot and the consistency in his control. But he's only been in the league for a few years, and as a result, I do expect that to improve. Now, what I mean by consistency in his jump shot was that he's never made more than 11.8% of his shots from uh, between 10 to 16 feet. And in 2017 to 18, he attempted 32.3 of his shots from three-point range, which is not bad, 
it's a lot less than a lot of other backcourt stars like Harden and Curry. But is it fair to compare Victor Oladipo to those guys, or should we be comparing him to more athletic wait, uh, guards? Kind of like Dwayne Wade, guys like that. And when I look at that, he triples their three-point attempt percentages. When you look at Dwayne Wade, John Wall, and Bulls' Derrick Rose. Those guys were in the 10s and 20s. Victor Oladipo is comfortable shooting 30% of his shots from three. In fact, he had his best year doing that. And shot them at a 37% clip. And the problem here, though, is that it's not that he's not willing to attempt them. Look, he's, he's, not, he's not a Ben Simmons. I, I feel so bad for making fun of Ben Simmons every time, but I gotta say it. He's not Ben Simmons. League average for his, his uh, most improved season in 2017-18, the league average for three-point shooting was around 35 to 36%. Victor did shoot 37. His efficiency wasn't too bad. But there were games where you would see him go one for six, one for five. Not shooting your team out of games, but you just want him to be a little bit more consistent. And if he reins that jump shot in and finds a way of making them more often, it, it takes his game to a whole other level. You don't, you can't sag off of him off the ball anymore. Now, he can get hot for stretches. He's very, 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 very streaky. And in the first round of the playoffs against the Cavs, he shot 40% on two more attempts per game than he did in the regular season. But then the next season, he began shooting a dismal 34%. That's two ticks under the league average for that season. That was 2018-19. So it's it's not a major drop. It's not anything to be concerned about. It's not that he can't shoot. It's that he just needs to be able to do it more sustainable. In terms of the control, the consistency in his control, look, he's not averaging seven assists, eight assists a game. And I just told you he averaged two and a half to three turnovers a game. That's not a great assist to turnover ratio, but it's not like they're ill-advised passes. It's not like they're, they're dumb basketball moves. It's that he's getting used to the flow. He's trusting his teammates so much that he believes they can get to cuts. He believes they can get to open spaces. He's not losing his dribble anymore. More of the time, it's just he's trying a pass. And I don't mind that. You know, LeBron, Chris Paul, James Harden, other shot creators and passers, they get turnovers off of passing too. And it's because they're trying different things. They're learning what their teammates are capable of and what the defense is going to react to. You don't see him turning the ball over a lot in the fourth quarter or in important moments. That he won't do. It's just like when he's just getting used to the game, etc., etc. And in college, you know, like I said, he left the ball behind on drive sometimes. We don't see that in the NBA with the Pacers anymore. We saw it in Orlando a little bit. But now his his turnovers are only the result of him just getting used to a new kind of offensive style. And to be objective, though, let's look at it with some numbers. Let's take it per 100 possessions. Because per 100 possessions is... Like I said, it's the average that a, uh, a game has, and it allows us to compare all players on as even of a playing field as possible, let's say that. I wouldn't say an even playing field, but as even as possible. And when I look at Victor Oladipo's turnover rate, so that's turnovers per 100 possessions, he's only turning the ball over 12.7 times in 100 possessions. Now, that could sound like a lot, totally understand that per 100 offensive possessions you're telling me he's going to turn the ball over 12.7 percent of the time well guess what in the same sample size Oladipo just put up 34 points and six assists and stole the ball from the offensive player three and a half times 
So is that an accurate of Oladipo's ceiling and what he's capable of doing? I don't think so. Look, 30, 34 and 6 with 3.5 steals is a lot to do. I wouldn't expect 90% of players to be able to do that. But does it prove that, you know, his lack of control on offense and his turnovers can be offset by the benefits he brings on both ends of the court? Yeah, absolutely. He's he's doing he's doing enough to the point where you can hide that. It's not it's not a uh, it's not important. It's almost negligible. Because he has such great offensive and defensive statistical and eye test contributions. Most of all, he's never been afraid of the big shot. He'll have the ball in his hands at the ends of games with 10 seconds left. He'll drive to the rim, he'll create a mid-range, he'll take the big game-tying three. No problems, playoffs, regular season, whatever. Put the ball in his hands, he'll create a shot. He's not afraid of it. And on top of that, he's a great teammate. You know, if you if you saw our Victor Oladipo post, you know that after his 47-point night, the first thing he did was say, forget me, or sorry, the first thing he did after saying that he was taking it one day at a time was said, forget me, these guys did great tonight. My teammates were amazing. We're all encouraging each other. This is the best locker room I've been in. All of that stuff. Like Giving credit like that, you don't need to, man. Why don't you just say, you know what? My teammates got my jump shot going, and after a while, I just had to take over the game. I knew my team needed me, and I'm the, I'm the leader of this team, so I'm going to try hard. No one would blame him for saying that. But instead, he's going to say, forget me. Look at the guys around me. I appreciate that. I like that. And that's the role that he, I can see him playing for a lot of championship teams. Be a good defensive player, handle the ball about 20 to 30% of the time, and then be a good locker room presence. That's, that's really all you need from your second or first best player. But which teams could really use Oladipo other than Indiana? Now, I know he's a star player on Indiana, probably won't get traded anytime soon, at least not for the next season. But if Indiana's problems in retaining players continue to happen and they're not able to get talent around Oladipo, I wouldn't be surprised if they went from we're not listening to anything about Oladipo to saying that, okay, he's not on the table, but we'll answer phone calls to, oh my God, Victor Oladipo has just been traded. Don't be surprised if it gets to that. You know, as much as I love the Pacers, they're not good at keeping stars. And is that a factor of them being a small market team? Maybe. Is it a factor of maybe some racist fans? Maybe just a tough atmosphere at times? Sure. Could be something. We don't know what it is. But the fact of the matter is, there is a chance that Oladipo could be traded in the future. Now, if you're a GM, a coach, or just a hooper wanting to know why I think Oladipo is a good trade piece, let me lay it out for you. Nice and easy. Number one, he's 27 years old. Right in the middle of his prime. Yes, he's coming off of an injury. Totally understand that. And that knee has been giving him problems. Completely understand. But I think that he'll actually come back pretty healthy next season. Is he going to be at 100%? Probably not. I think he'll be operating at about 80 to 85% of his total capability. And the season after is when you're going to get breakout Oladipo. So if the Pacers have a really bad year, you're getting a 28-year-old guy that just got his rhythm back from being in an injury. He's also one of the hardest workers in the league. So you know that at the very least, you're going to get him at his best. You're not, maybe he's not going to get better every day because that injury is going to set him back a little bit. But getting a guy that averages 23, 5, and 4, I'm interested on like 40%, 40, sorry, 47% from the field, like 37% from three-point range and about 75 to 80% from the free throw line. Yeah, 
that's, that's uh, it's a good score to have on your team. On top of that, four years and eighty-four million dollars. His current contract is for for an NBA contract. That's really really nothing. And he's got two years left on that deal. At twenty-one million a year, he's a bargain. He's a steal. Just remember. If you go back and listen to our earlier episodes, first few, we talked about some of the rookie extensions guys were signing. Three years, 100 million. Four years, 120 million. You know, Lowry, three years, 99 million. He just got a, he had an extension a few years ago and then signed another one for a, a year and 30 million. Oladipo, on the other hand, is four years, 84. He's just became an all-star, had his breakout season recently, is an athletic combo guard with a good three-point shot. Tell me, tell me why? That contract doesn't seem like the bargain of the century. You know, you could make a really, really convincing trade to another team and just say, like, you know, Oladipo's a proven star, man. All we need to do is rebuild if we're Indiana. It could it could be a convincing thing. On top of that, Indiana's had a problem with managing Sabonis and Turner at times, you know, considering that they're both interior big men with you know, immense rebounding and dunking ability, and it kind of messes up the spacing a little bit. It's one of the reasons why I believe, you know, Oladipo might not fit with those guys. I think he'll still be great. Don't get me wrong. It's just he won't fit with those as well he is, as he's fit with, like, Thaddeus Young and more willing jump shooters. Um, now, if Indy flames out and has to rebuild their future... Who could Oladipo go to? Well, let's just take a look at some of the guys that are similar with contracts. We can talk about why I think he's more valuable than them. Number one, Andrew Wiggins, who just got traded to what was the last dynasty in the NBA that we remember, the Golden State Warriors. They traded for him and they didn't, I don't think they would mind using him as a third option with Steph and Clay. He's kind of like a Harrison Barnes is uh, Andrew Wiggins. He's getting paid $6 million a year more than Victor Oladipo. And is and in 2017-18, was definitely not a better player. And overall, is definitely not a better player. We can have this argument if you want to on our Instagram, at PNR Podcast. I'm willing to have this discussion. Wiggins is not better than Oladipo. And it shouldn't be a discussion. Number two, Hassan Whiteside. $6 million a year more than Oladipo. Now, Hassan Whiteside, we can all remember... Infamous for locker room trouble, lack of effort on the court, not willing to play defense all the time, not being the kind of dominant big man that he's capable of. Oladipo overachieves, gives all the effort that he can do, and is one of the best locker room guys in the league. And on top of that, he actually works immensely hard. Like when he was uh, healing from that ruptured quad tendon, he was on a court shooting in his stretcher. He was watching film. He was attending his team's games and showing his teammates that love, that support. But he's getting paid $6 million less than a guy that doesn't on a bad team. Anyways, not saying that Portland's a bad team, by the way. Portland's a, I, I like Portland. And I think that when they have everything together, all their players healthy and maybe another star, they're a championship contending team. He's also getting paid $3 million less than Harrison Barnes is Victor Oladipo. Now, Harrison Barnes might be on one of the worst contracts in the league. 100%, I agree. You know, there's been a lot of bad contracts in the league. That's definitely one of them. But... Let's just remember, Harrison Barnes did play on the championship Warriors. And Victor Oladipo is still better than him. So he's getting paid $3 million less. There are trades available. What teams should make a trade for him? Well, let's take a look at these three options that I've laid out here. Number one, 
Portland. Now, I mentioned that Whiteside is on an expensive contract, and I think I've mentioned a few times in the past that, you know, Portland has a lot of centers that are dominant in the paint. They need some floor spacing in order to make things work. But I don't think a lot of teams are going to be willing to take a flyer on Whiteside, and I don't think that Indiana would take Whiteside for Victor Oladipo. So here's a trade that I'm proposing. You can flip Whiteside for something else, get shooters, get small forwards, because really small forwards and power forwards is what Portland needs the most of. But on Oladipo for CJ McCollum trade to pair Lillard and Oladipo together within that Terry Stotts offense. As a result, they're going to start taking turns now. Because you notice that in Portland, all those guys do is just run off of a screen, run a couple of pick and rolls, pass it to each other, and then they get good looks. There's no shots that they're going to tell you not to shoot if you're a good shooter, and Oladipo can shoot. When he wants to, he can light it up. So I could see an Oladipo and Lillard tandem with shooters and a dominant big being a championship contending team. Absolutely. With Yusuf Nurkic? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of stars that, you know, they don't need a lot to work around them in order for them to be successful. Lillard's one of those guys. Lillard doesn't really need too much to get going and to get his team doing well. In fact, he's almost carried them to the eighth seed despite having literally every other starter injured, including himself. <laughs> so I, I, I would really like to see that, especially just because I love Lillard and I love Portland. Number two. Denver. Now, I don't know about salaries in this case. Uh, Denver has a lot of guys on like mid-level contracts. I think you could make it work. But Oladipo would perfectly complement their fast-paced ball movement and cut-heavy offense, right? Like he can catch those lobs. Jokic will have an easy lob target almost every time down the court. He'll have multiple ones if Will Barton's on at the same time. Plus a big three around the perimeter of Oladipo, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr., backed up by Millsap and Jokic in the front court. Now that, that sounds like a good offensive and defensive team. And it sounds like one that can create more shots in the playoffs because you now have more athletic wings or guards. Um, on top of that, one of the problems that I always see with the Nuggets is defense-laden games. Like they, they have guys that are exploitable on the defensive end. You know, Gary Harris is a good defender, but if you get him to to force a switch onto one of your bigger guys, you can just go to the rim. And Jokic is not going to stop anybody at the rim. So having a guy on the perimeter like Oladipo who's athletic can shoot and then on the defensive end can take the best backcourt matchups, that's going to help a lot. And I think Oladipo will be way more comfortable in a fast-paced offense that runs up and down the court than he's been even in Indiana. So I could see him averaging 25 a game there. Or maybe only 23, but belong belonging to a winning team, working with Jamal Murray and Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. and all of the other great young talent that Denver has. Now, the most controversial one I'm going to say is this. Let's say we get the playoffs and the Milwaukee Bucks, they lose in the semifinals, the conference semifinals, after losing in the conference finals last year. Or hell, maybe they even just lose in the conference finals this year. I don't think Giannis is going to want to stay. I don't think Giannis is going to be happy. They traded away Malcolm Brogdon, who was probably their best young piece and was a 50-40-90 guy his rookie year. <laughs> um, 
Giannis is going to be unhappy if that team doesn't end up doing something to make themselves more of a championship contender. So if they become desperate enough, why not trade Bledsoe for Oladipo? Oladipo is just a much better Bledsoe. Now, Bledsoe is not going to be a very attractive piece for Indiana to take, especially because Bledsoe just signed a contract about a year and a half ago. You know, maybe you throw in some of their young talent, Dante DiVincenzo, something like that. You make a win-now decision. Trade some of your young players, bring in Oladipo. Now you have a really, really unstoppable offense. If you get Middleton, Oladipo, and Giannis on the same team, and then you have Brooke Lopez and Wes Matthews backing them up as role players, that's a, like, I would be scared to play that team if I was any other team in the league. Absolutely. Because they're going to get after you on both ends, and they're really athletic, really long, really good defensive, and they got shooters on shooters and finishers on finishers. It's, you know what, if he goes to Milwaukee, it would be scary. You have a 50-40-90 guy in Middleton. You have a three-point spacer, Splash Mountain, Brooke Lopez. Off the bench, you have a great bench unit, George Hill, Robin Lopez, some of the other guys. Like, you can you can really, really see a fit for Oladipo, if you ask me. So, will, will this trade happen? Obviously, I don't know. I can't predict it. But if it does... I could see him going to those three teams. And I do think that Oladipo is truly one of the most special players in the NBA, hands down. But thank you so much for listening to episode 19 of the podcast. That is going to wrap it up. If you want to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at PNR podcast. Our Twitter is at PNR underscore podcast. My personals are Zafir.PNR on Instagram, ZafirPNR on Twitter. I'm always on Instagram for the social media page just to make sure that we're getting up great content every single day. So check me out, DM me, tell me what you think of this episode. Tell us what you think of Victor Oladipo. Do you like him? Is he a top 20 player? Will he win a championship? Let us know. Thanks so much again. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, subscribe, and we'll see you next time, Hoopers. Oh, and uh, happy 420.